Hey, everybody. Hey, will you help me real quick? Um, I want to welcome everybody at our Littleton, Lakewood, Evergreen, Arvada, Brussels, and the men and women at our God Behind Bars campus. Can we welcome them? Can we welcome them? We love you guys. Um, my name is Eric. Um, I'm a pastor here. I'm on staff. And um, I'm so excited. This is true. This message, this message is a message that's been a year in the making, right? A year. I know some of you are like, oh, I wondered where you went. <laughs> Look, we've been in this series um, where we've, we, just getting started, where we've been talking about like walking through the book of Acts, right? And, and kind of looking at the early church. And I got to tell you, that is my favorite book of the Bible. Like, I love it. Anytime somebody says, okay, where should I start? What should I read? I'm like, oh, dude, you got to go read Acts. Like, that book is like filled with intrigue and mystery and people doing crazy stuff for God. And, and it's funny because it really is a good novel. It is a good piece of historical, it's not fiction. I was going to say historical fiction because I love reading historical fiction, you know. But that's what it reads like, man. You read this novel of history. And, and every time I'm reading Acts, I catch myself, my imagination just goes kind of wild, right? Because Oftentimes when I'm thinking about these early church leaders standing up for their faith, willing to lay it all down, that's what's in my head, right? And everybody in Acts has like this Scottish accent, right? And the car- big, lots of hair. <laughs> that's just because I don't have any. But look, I'm telling you, Acts, it's an amazing read because there are these stories throughout Acts, like just peppered with these amazing stories, like right off the get-go. Like as soon as you crack it open, right in Acts chapter 3, there's this story. It's so cool. It's Peter and John, right? And, and, and they're walking by a guy who was lame. He was at the city gates, and um, they heal him. And because he's healed... Like, people want to know what's going on. Now, this guy's been laying for 30 years at the gates, right? And so he gets healed, and thousands of people start coming to Christ because when lame people just get up and walk after 30 years, like, people start paying attention. Well, all the religious leaders in the community are like, this can't happen. They cannot preach. So they went and grabbed him, threw him in jail. Next morning, they brought him up in front of them because they're like, well, we can't keep him in jail because... They actually healed the guy, and he's walking around. Um, but we're going to tell him no more. This is done. So they brought him up in front of this tribunal, and they said, listen, Peter, John, it's done. No more. No more talking about Jesus. It's over, or you're going back to jail, and this is it. Like, this is the book of Acts. And it's just quintessential. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. And this, that's the book of Acts. That's like the story of Acts. People who stand up no matter what it costs and say what they got to say because they're like, we can't stop talking about it. And for years, like when I would read through Acts, I would just imagine these men and imagine that story. And I oftentimes would think, man, what I wouldn't do to like be there. Wouldn't it be so cool like just to be there and, and to, to see it, right? And then in March of 2017, no joke, I saw the early church. No joke, I experienced the book of Acts with 
my own two eyes. Now, one of the things that I'm privileged to do as part of my role around here is I get to be a part of the stuff that we do globally. And being such, we had a meeting in the spring of 2017 with someone who said, listen, if you're interested in a move of God, you have to go see what's going on in this country. And so, with a little bit of insight, this organization invited me and Scott Brugman over to India. Now, let me give you a little background on India, just so we're on the same page and you understand what's happening. India is in Southeast Asia, and um, India uh, currently has a population of 1.38 billion people. All right, we're, we're 300 million here in the States, 1.38 billion. It is on track to be the world's most populous country by 2022. Now, I'm going to do a little math for you, and um, I'm not very good at this, but um, go, even if you're not good with math, go with me. There's 7.6 billion people on planet Earth, okay? Now, of that 7.6 billion people, 2.2 are Christians. So that leaves... 5.4 billion people who don't know Jesus, okay? 5.4. Now, back to India. 1.38. Of that 1.38 billion people, 1.3 billion, most of the population don't know Jesus. Most of them are Hindu. That percentage is pretty simple. 25% of the world's population that don't know Jesus live in India. Think about that for a second. One in every four people who don't know Jesus, they live in India, right? Like, if you're going to go making heaven more crowded, like, India is a great place to start. <laughs> so Scott and I got invited, and we met this guy who started a ministry that I'm going to call Impact. Now, this is important. Um, I'm, I'm going to call this ministry Impact and I'm going to use different names for the pastors because this is the truth of what's going on in India. There's an, a lot of um, oppression for anybody who's Christian in that country. So if you look up impact, you're not going to find it on the web. And none of these pastors, we use their real name just to protect them. But we went to see this ministry. Now, this ministry started 20 years ago. Listen to this. In 20 years, this is what he said. We sat, we went to Delhi, we sat down. He said, in tw I said, 20 years, how many churches have you planted? I was thinking he's going to say, I don't know, a couple of thousand. They planted 20,000 churches in 20 years. 20,000. Like, that's a lot of zeros, right? And I said, okay, wait, 20,000. How, how many people do you think have come to Jesus in one of your 20,000 churches? And um, Joe, Pastor Joe, said, um, we don't keep records because it's a little bit dangerous for us, but we think about 800,000 people. What? 800,000 people. Like, my, my mind was like, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. How, how are you doing that? And I thought he was going to pull out like this giant manual and put it on the table, you know, like a 500-page, like, here's how we do it. And he said, well... I just read the New Testament and decided to do what Paul did. That's it. I was like, oh, well, of course. So, th listen, it is ingenious what they're doing. So, they have these training centers, 
They're all around the country. There are 40 of them now. Now, their, their goal is to have 100 of these training centers because they want to plant 100,000 churches. But there are 40 of these training centers. So Scott and I got to go to a training center and see what happens. Now, listen, these training centers are filled with these young Christians. Now, here's what you need to know about the backstory of every single one of these young men and women who are in one of these training centers. They spend one year. And when they come to the training center, they have literally left everything. Because becoming Christian from Hindu is not like going to another church down the street. Their family has disowned them. They no longer have a dowry if they did have one. They won't get a, a, an arranged marriage. These guys, these kids, hear about Jesus. They cross the line of faith, and it literally costs them everything. And so out of many of these churches, these young guys, these young women are moving into these training centers. And for one year, they train. For one year, they live together. They eat together. Um, and, and I got to thinking when I was there, Scott and I, I was so excited. I'm like, dude, 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 this is the early church, man. R read Acts chapter 2 when it said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. That's what these kids do. For an entire year, they study. They eat together. It's all about Jesus for a year. And then they graduate. And it was really neat. The timing that Scott and I were there, we got to be a part of a graduation ceremony. And um, so these these pastors, we, we got to teach, uh, both Scott and I, but it was so humbling because it's like, here are these young guys and they're getting ready to go step into, like, remember, when they came here, nobody gave them a bon voyage party, like, we're so proud of you. And here's, here's what's going to happen. At the, at the end of this graduation ceremony, they literally get a bike, a Bible and a bongo. <laughs> it's for worship. Seriously, a bike, a Bible, and a bongo. And then they're commissioned to go back into the community they left a year ago and to start a church. No, there's no homecoming parades. Nobody's happy to see them. And that's where they go. And they plant churches. Now, this group is about 20%. Of the four to 500 pastors that every year are being commissioned through one of these training centers that are going out, starting churches. And here's what Joe told me. He said, the average pastor, based on what we've seen over these last 20 years, the average pastor will plant five to seven churches in their lifetime, all of them fully functioning, five to seven. I was like, this is unreal. Like, this is happening. And we came back. Like, I couldn't wait to get back. And our first leadership meeting, look, this is, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something about the people who lead this church. Look, I, some of you may not know this. I didn't, I wasn't here when Red Rock started. I got invited. Um, the four guys that started this church, Sean, Chad, Brian, Scott. This is why I love them. Because I walked into a room, I have tears in my eyes. I'm like, guys, there's this thing happening in India. I don't even think I can describe it. There's a bunch of people who are getting a bunch of people saved, and it's crazy, and we have to do something. And you know what? 
In some places, this is the conversation. It would have been like, well, you know, we should probably sit down with a committee and see if we can uh, analyze the situation, and maybe in 18 months we'll figure out a plan. That isn't what happened. Literally, all the guys, as soon as I said 800,000, they're like, how do we, yes, yes, how do we get involved? Sean's like, dude, pick up the phone and call him. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So I picked up the phone. I'm like, hey, we're in. I don't even know what that means. What can we do? And on the other end, um, they said, oh, you, you remember that, that training center you went to? Well, you could sponsor all of those pastors. And I went, guys, we could sponsor all the pastors. And they're like, do it. I went, well, okay, we'll sponsor all the pastors. <laughs> so I know sometimes if, if you come here, you go, I wonder, like, when I bring my tithes here and my offering. I wonder where that's going. This is where your, your money that you're giving is going. And if you don't like that sort of stuff, you probably should not give here. <laughs> Seriously. I got on the phone. It happened. And they said, you're in. And so check this out. This last year, this is our first graduating class. 16 young guys who are now going in the field. Now listen, listen, they have a message for you. One more thing. Thank, thank, thank you, Red Rocks Church. They said, thank you, Red Rocks Church. Now, listen, now that, now you, wait, you want to get blown away more? After this, those guys, those young guys, they don't have anything. You know what they did? They took an offering for our church. This is their offering. This is what they gave us. Dude, I'm like weeping, bawling. I'm like, oh, my God, I love you. You're so good, you know? It's unreal. God is doing something huge. And these guys, it occurred to me, I'm like, you know what? I got to tell more people about this. I got to tell more people. And so as soon as I hung up the phone and we said we're in, I'm like, okay, I got to take the worship team over there. Now, one of the other things that um, I get to be a part of is I get to be a part of everything we're doing on the record side, like, you know, the worship nights that we do and the recording that we made last year. I said, dude, that's Acts, that's an Acts, that's Acts stuff going on there. That's early church. I want our worship leaders to go there, and the next album, I want them to write it out of that experience. Like, I want them to go there and write that stuff. And so, of course, the team goes, yeah, that's what we should do. And so that's what we did. The, literally the day after we recorded the Paramount, that was in May. March, I was in India. The day after was May, and I sat down with the team. We were supposed to be celebrating, you know, the fact that we recorded an album. And I was like, okay, guys, listen, listen. Last night, good job. We're going to India. <laughs> and there was like, wait, what? We're doing what? And I wish it could have been there. I wish I would have recorded it because there was like this little gasp because, um, not because of India, just because like most people who know me just don't want to travel with me at all. <laughs> I have a tiny bit of a reputation of going to really kind of grimy, awful places and wandering into spaces I should never wander into and just sort of blissfully wandering through going, isn't this great, guys? And someone's almost dead. I don't mean to get them almost killed. But, but I said, this is what we're doing. We're going to go to India. And so this is what we're going to do. Because 
when I love something, I got to talk about it. And so for the next few minutes, I'm going to take you to India. I'm going to take you to go see what's happening because something's just getting started there. And it reminds me a lot of the book of Acts. So we loaded up the team and I said, all right, I know what we're doing. Um, you guys are going to fly into Delhi. This just happened this past March. I said, you guys are flying into Delhi, okay? And um, I got him in that night. The next morning, I said, here's what we're doing. We're going to Varanasi. Now, let me explain Varanasi because this is really important. It was super important to me. Varanasi sits on the banks of the Ganges. And it is the holiest city in Hinduism. The Ganges is considered a holy river. Literally, these gurus, these holy men, they'll line up on the banks of the Ganges and they preach every single night. Thousands of people come out to hear them speak and teach, right? There's a place on the Ganges that literally never stops burning because this is where many Hindus will bring their dead. They'll baptize them in the Ganges because they believe it's the quickest route to heaven. And then these fires, these cremations, they never stop burning. Seven days, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It never stops, right? This place, I said, that's where we're going. And what we're going to do is we're going to get in a boat. And we're going to go out on the Ganges. And we're going to have a worship set. And we're going to share communion. And that's where, how we're going to kick the whole trip off. And so I told the team, this is what we're doing. And the night before, it was really funny because the night before, there were four pastors, um, Indian pastors that are a part of Impact. They, um, these guys are awesome, men of God, man, just filled with faith, bold, courageous. They sit me down and they said, now tomorrow, you want to take your team to Varanasi and the Ganges to do a worship set and communion. And I said, yes. And they said, why do you want to do that? <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? They stopped. And then very seriously, they looked back at me and said, well, look, we don't think that you'll all get killed. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Folks, if anybody starts a sentence with, I don't think you're going to get killed. The next bit of the sentence is really important to pay attention to, right? We don't think you're going to get killed, but this could be really dangerous. I was like, okay. They said, see, if someone overhears you leading worship to your God on the Ganges, if someone sees you breaking bread and sharing communion on the Ganges, we just don't think they're going to be very happy about it. So why, seriously, why are we going there? And I, I, it was simple for me, right? I wasn't trying to prove any sort of point. Or, I just said, because that's where the Apostle Paul would go. That's where Peter would go. That's where John would go because that's where Jesus would go, right? Like Acts chapter 4, 19. Guys, do you think God wants us to obey them rather than him? That's his river. That's his city. And 
there was a silence for about 15 seconds. And then they started to laugh, like a deep, deep belly laugh, because I thought, well, they think I'm a complete idiot, right? <laughs> You're going to get everyone killed. And they looked back and said, yes, that is exactly what Jesus would do. So yes, we're going to Varanasi. So, <laughs> team, lo team gets in town. We get them off the plane. And um, we head to Varanasi. And um, it was so cool because as we walked through this city that was just packed with people coming out literally for evening prayers to hear the, the, the gurus, we, we, we got down to the river and these boats, they literally looked like boats. I thought, man, this is a boat that Jesus and the disciples were in, man, right? This is a boat that Jesus would have floated around the river in. And um, we packed up a couple guitars and it um, wasn't a big show, but we just said, all right, let's just have a moment, because this is God's, let's have a moment with our God. Fire. 
the sin of the world His blood breaks the chains Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb Every knee will bow before you know, it did take uh, some boldness to get on the boat. Now, not for the team, because I didn't tell them about the whole get killed thing. <laughs> but the truth is, isn't it true? Isn't it true, like, when you're around bold people, doesn't it do something uh, make you want to be more bold? Like, when you're around people who talk about Jesus, doesn't it make you want to talk about Jesus? When you see somebody living out their faith, doesn't it make you want to live out your faith? And that was what was really going on because we kept running into these pastors who would risk everything to follow Jesus, story after story after story of like, hey, man, whatever comes. They're like the apostles, right? They're like, look, we're going to say what we have to say. We're not going to do what they ask us to do because we're going to do what God asks us to do. And that's infectious. And we captured one pastor's story a pastor that I think, man, speaks to a, a whole bunch of pastors who are boldly saying, no, we're going to say what we have to say. You know, India is uh, most uh, Hinduism majority is there. And uh, there are a lot of people that believe in Hinduism. And the Hinduism, it has originated from this Varanasi. And this is the center place of India especially for the Hinduism. And there's two things they uh, say always the, about the city of Varanasi. It is a learning and burning city because the Hindu people, they believe that uh, if somebody is died and they believe that if they burn their, that last, the soul will be go to the direct the heaven. So that is the, their belief. And mostly the majority of these places, they never allow to anyone to propagate any other religion. And it is very hard to propagate about the Christianity because they oppose strictly about the Christianity. All the fanatics people, they come together and they destroy our house. They destroy our churches, they destroy our house, and they burn our clothes, everything, whatever we had, they took. And because of the fear, and they kept two questions to us that, if you leave Christ, then you will not destroy your house. If you, if you are not leaving Christ, then definitely we will destroy you and we will kill you. But the, we say that, we may leave our house, we may leave our every property, but we'll never leave the Christ. And we say that, and we went to the mountain, the forest, and that was the month of August. It was the rainy season. And all the, our village people, we went to the forest, and there we were three days inside the forest. We are not having food, we are not having cloth, we are not having anything. And all the people, they said, we will not allow to come once again our your village and we said no problem but we will never leave our christ Man, give me a give me a hug yeah. <laughs> that's amazing thank you they burned their house down they lived in the forest because they burned their house down did you catch it? he said i will never leave the christ but at the end of this interview he's smiling i'm like okay okay why are you smiling and he said oh because the same people who burned our house down they rebuilt it for us because they all came to Jesus. <laughs> listen, listen, what I'm learning, what I saw there 
with some people who just were bold, right? They were bold for Jesus. And here's what I know. That sometimes I know we feel like, man, I don't know if I have that boldness in me. And maybe you don't, but you can pray for it. I mean, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.19 says, don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time. Look, if we pray for boldness, God will give it to us. And for us to do what God wants us to do in our world, sometimes it takes some boldness. I saw pastors who were boldly doing what God asked them to do. There was another pastor. His name was Ron. And Ron's story was unreal. Ron was a pastor who came up through Impact and for seven years was pastoring. And he said, he said, he told me a story. He said, you know, I had walked by this homeless man for seven years, homeless man. And then he said, and then one day. You know, I love that phrase, and then one day. Because doesn't that describe probably every one of our journeys, right? Like, didn't know Jesus, had no idea, could care less, was lost, whatever. And then one day, for whatever reason, got invited to a church, or something happened with my family, or something happened to my, to my, my, my health. And then one day, I met Jesus. Then one day, Ron said, it occurred to me that I should do something for this homeless man. Now, now, if you're homeless in India, chances are you've been thrown out on the street by your very own family. Because if you suffer with, from any sort of mental illness, what will happen often is a family will discard their own family members right onto the street. Seriously. Mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle. And that's where they live their days, on the streets. And so he said, I passed by him that day, and I thought, I'm going to take him to my apartment, and I'm going to feed him. And so he did. And he said, once I fed him, I thought, I ought to give him a shower too. And he did. And then he said, his clothes were rags, so I clothed him. And then I thought, you know what? Haircut. He hadn't had a haircut in years. He could tell. It was just dingy and long. So he took him to a barber. He said, the barber wouldn't cut his hair unless they drew the blinds because he didn't want any of the other customers to know. So he drew the blinds, cut his hair. He said, I thought, gosh, I've done all that. I might as well just let him stay in my house. Now listen to this. Now... Six years from that moment, literally hundreds of homeless men, Pastor Ron has pulled into his house and done the exact same thing. And then he lets them live with him. Like, they live with him. He has seen men healed, like their lives completely reclaimed. He's actually been able to reunite some of these homeless family members with their family. This is what he does. He still passes the church. But he has a house full of men who the rest of the world would say are the most unimportant, the most forgotten, worthless people on the planet. That's his house. That's who he hangs out with 24 hours a day. And I knew this. I went, you know what? This guy's amazing. Because he said, I still can't do enough in my own house. Listen to this. Listen to what he does on Fridays. He and his team, his church team, they fast on Fridays. They take the meals that they fasted on Fridays. They package them all up. They get them in a van. They pray over every single meal. So these, these, these pastors, they're, they're, they're fasting. They pray over every meal. And then they take them down to the train station. This train station has a plethora of homeless men and women. And they hand out food because he said, I don't have enough room in my house. So I just got to keep doing what Jesus asked me to do. I just got to keep doing it. I was like, 
this, this, is, this is Acts, right? Peter and John walked by a guy that was sitting at the gates. And they said, look, I don't have a lot of money, but what I do have, I'll give you. And I thought to myself, okay, if I'm taking the team over there, we're going to Varanasi first. And then I can tell you where we're going to go lead worship first. We had stuff set up. We led for thousands of Christians in Delhi, and it was really great. But you know the first place we went to lead worship? Pastor Ron's house. I'm like, dude, that's where we're going. And so literally the team, um, we packed up a couple of guitars, and um, we sat in a little circle where these 15 men who honestly, I'm telling you, the world has forgotten, forgotten. We just spent a few minutes with them. I love this song because I think this is a perfect song to sing to these men. marginalized people. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but in India, I'm sure it's easy to find marginalized people. And that's true. And you go, I, I, don't, I don't know anybody like that. Here's the truth. And here's what's tricky about the United States. Is right now in your neighborhood, you, you sit next to at school or somewhere in your work, someone who's marginalized. I promise you right now, there's somebody in your neighborhood who's thinking about taking their life. There's somebody in your school who wish they didn't exist. There are people who've lost a child, someone who just got a diagnosis that they don't have long to live. I am telling you, but what makes it tricky when the U.S., we can cover it up, can't we? Like with clothes and cars and stuff. The truth is, no, no, there are marginalized people everywhere. And I got to thinking, man, what would it look like if we just prayed for boldness? 
And then we just let God lead us to that one person. Just the one. Just the one. I know we hear these stories like this, and we have a temptation, I think, when you hear those numbers to go, yeah, but, but I can't do anything like that, Eric. 800,000 people. But here's the truth. This one man just prayed for a little bit of boldness. And here's what I love. He's not a pastor. He's actually, he was, he grew up in India. He moved to Australia. He made it, had a business, did really well, sold it. And then he said, Eric, I saw the same stats that you just saw. And it occurred to me that the only reason I exist on planet earth is to go tell my people about Jesus. And so I'm just going to go find somebody to tell. There was no like master plan. There was no like a bazillion dollars. There was nothing. It was just him going, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go tell one person. And isn't this the way of Jesus, right? Isn't this what we see in Acts? Look, you don't have to have a master plan. You don't have to have some sort of theological degree. You don't have to be a pastor. You just have to pray for some boldness and say, God, lead me to that one person. I love it. I love it. One of my favorite verses in all of Acts is this verse in Acts 4.1. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Hey, listen, this is for us to say, look, if we just pray for some boldness in God, say, God, lead me to that one person. I'm telling you, something amazing can happen. Amazing. Amazing. And I'm not great at math, but I can tell you that God's just getting started at Red Rocks. And if we were to take this challenge, guys, that would mean like if in the next week or two, we'd be like 26,000 people. I don't know where we'd put them. (laughs) But see, this is what God's asking. This is what you see in India. And I'm telling you, it's not isolated to India. That can be our story too. And all I have to do is say, God, give me the boldness and lead me to that one person. Just that one person. Who's that one person, God? And maybe they've been on your heart or your mind for a long time. And maybe you don't know if they have any problems at all. And maybe they don't have a problem in the world. But maybe they don't know Jesus. And maybe you'll be the person that just tells them and shows them. And look, when we do this, here's what's cool. Is we never do it alone, right? Never. Like Jesus goes with us when we do this. I believe this with all my heart. Our church is 13 plus years old. I believe we're just getting started. And I absolutely believe that what God wants to do in Littleton and Lakewood and Arvada and Evergreen and Brussels, like it's us that he wants to use. Not us up here, us he wants to use. And he wants to do some amazing stuff. And maybe all we have to do is pray for boldness and say, God, lead me to that one person. And for those of you that walked into this place today, that maybe you're like, yeah, but I I don't even know Jesus. Here's my question to you. Why? Seriously. I'm telling you. The best decision I ever made in my life, my, and then one day, was January 1st, 1995. It's the best decision I've ever made. And here's the verse I've found to be true in Mark chapter 8, 
verse 35, only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to truly live. There are literally thousands of us that have found this verse to be true. And if you don't know him, here's what's awesome. You can. Like this very day. And it's super simple. God loves you. Right? He knows that you're busted and broken like every one of us. He knew that we were all sinners, that we had all fallen short. And so he sent his son to die on the cross. And truthfully, the Bible's pretty clear about it. All we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's it, this amazing gift. And I'm saying, hey, maybe God brought you to this place for you to have your and then one day moment. Will everybody bow their heads? So let me ask, is there anyone in this room that just by showing a raise of hands would like to give Jesus their life this very day? Just raise your hand if that's you. My dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. God, this is what I pray. For every hand that was raised at all of our campuses, that God, you would begin to mend broken hearts. God, you begin to change destinies and futures. God, will your grace just flow in like a river and cover every person who's saying, I want to follow you this day. And God, for the rest of us, this is what I pray. I pray boldness. That God, we would, you would stiffen our spine, Father, to stand up straight and to proclaim your good news in our workplaces, in our schools, God, in our neighborhoods, because there is a world who is spiritually marginalized and need you. God, give us courage and boldness and bring us, bring it to our mind who that our one person is this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we... Can we at all of our campuses stand together and can we just proclaim how good our God is together? Amen. Let's worship.